Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Welcome back to the Fraudology Podcast. I have been alluding to today's episode for the last couple of weeks because I'm really excited to have this conversation. I've welcomed back James Olden and Rob McCall from the financial services platform Uphold. If you remember, they were on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about you know their career histories and how they work together in the fraud space at Uphold and you know really how they've been able to get a seat at the table and really work well with their senior leadership on fraud initiatives that also protect their good customers and you know create a seamless experience for their good customers. And when we were having the conversation before that interview, one of them, and I don't remember which one, mentioned uh, that they had implemented a new process. And that new process was really successful in helping consumers not fall for financial scams. And I know whether you are working for a bank, a financial you know, services company, fintech, uh, a peer-to-peer money transferring company, anything like that in crypto. These are things that are top of mind to you. And so that's why I welcome them back. So James and Rob, thank you so much for making time to come back on the Fraudology podcast. Thanks for having us. It's, it's really, we're really excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, it's becoming quite a habit. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> So, you know, as I mentioned, you, and, and we talked a little bit about it on the last episode too, you know, when you work for a financial services platform that allows people to exchange money, you know, in all different, you know, currencies or in different forms of money in different crypto uh, types of crypto, et cetera. It's obviously people are, you know, you're in the scam life cycle as I I yell at Burger Levin says. I mean, every company is in the scam life cycle. Let's be clear. Um, every different type of company is, you know, where scammers want to use your platform for something other than what you're intending it to be. And that's, you know, your your team has really made sure that that doesn't happen. And so if you could share a little bit about what some of the scams are that you, you know, that a company like yours sees, and then what really led you to feel like you needed to go above and beyond what is kind of the norm um, as far as protecting consumers. Yeah, um, I'll I'll take that one. So some of the I'll answer those in order. Some of the the types of scams that we're seeing. Uh, I like to take pig butchering as as really kind of a big umbrella term. Uh, and the way that I'll describe that to people that don't know what it is is everyone knows about the old Nigerian print scam that we all have an uncle in Nigeria from back in the nineties. And this is just the next evolution of that. Uh, so the types of scams that we're seeing are, we see the romance scams, uh, where some, uh, very attractive young woman from East Asia, uh, Southeast Asia has absolutely fallen in love with you, but her mother's brother's dog's uncle's dog has cancer and needs cancer treatment. So she can't come and see you until that, till that happens. And then we see the investment scams, uh, I'm investing with person X. 
They've made me 300 times my money and they can do the same thing for you. Look at these screenshots that could have come from anywhere. We can help you. You just need to send your money over there. And we've even seen some where people are, are pretending to be someone that you know. So in as an example of that, Carice, if uh, somebody got into my LinkedIn account and sent you a message and said, hey, check out, this is what I'm doing. Again, here's all the screenshots of what I'm doing. And I've, I've even spoken to some people who said that they were told by this person that they've definitely known for 20 plus years. When you see me in person, we're not going to talk about this because I don't want the other people to know that this is happening. So I'll know I'll know what we're doing. You'll know what we're doing, but we'll laugh all the way to the bank. Uh, and that's how they're getting away with pretending to be somebody that you know. Wow. And in all of those cases, there has to be several different platforms that they use for those scams, right? There has to be a platform for them to contact or you know meet a victim. There has to be a platform for them to then take them off platform, as Aaron and I talked about last week, you know, onto a messaging app, often encryption you know, encrypted messaging app, they often need to have web hosting so that they can host those websites that have investments on them. And, you know, another piece of the puzzle is moving the money and saying, hey, you know, you need to convert your money from this to this, and here's how you do it. And then you send it to me and we'll invest it. And in reality, they're not getting that money at all. Right. Absolutely. And and we've seen the the fake websites pop up where uh, they're essentially using that as a, a method to gain entry. Uh, so you'll go to a fake website, you'll try to log in. Now you've just given them your email address and password, but they need more information to be able to actually do anything. So then you'll get a little chat pop up that, that comes up on your screen. So, hey, we see that your account's locked out. We can help you with that. Uh, we need you to download TeamViewer. So now they have access to your account and because they're they're pretending to be someone that they're not, they're getting that trust. Like they're they're building that trust with you. Uh and once they're into your computer, there's essentially nothing else that you can do at that point now that you've given them control. And they move so fast when and honestly be, before you turn around, uh before you even blink, everything is gone. Uh and the whole time they're talking and they're distracting uh and they're they're keeping you occupied. As far as as moving the money off platform, that's for them, that was the easy part. That it was set up to be the easy part because people were giving it away. Well and to the bank or to the financial institution that that person uses, it looks like the account holder is willingly doing it, that they're involved in the transaction. Either they have logged in themselves or they've given someone else all of their login information. And so it's you know next to impossible. It's not impossible, but it's nearly impossible to know, you know, at least on the surface, if that person is actually doing it or not. And, you know, like Aaron and I talked about last week, like, you know, the solo episode I did on Thursday about Andy Cohen and the scam that he came out with. You know, in these cases, the consumer participated in the transaction. Therefore, their money is lost. And that's heartbreaking. And I can only imagine that, you know, if your platform is used to do that, that you're hearing some really heartbreaking stories. And so you would want to try to find a way to prevent it, even if it's not, you know, necessarily, you know, your company's money, it's still money going out, you know, somewhere that it shouldn't. And that's, you know, really, at the end of the day, we should be wanting to do the right thing no matter what, right? That's kind of what we've been doing with because we have amazing 
account takeover controls to protect all of our all of our customers assets and, and everything and make sure it is them doing you know the, the ones truly moving their money especially you know off platform to to uh, a you know private address but you know what would ended up taking place is our fraud team would end up communicating and, and, and talking to people where it's like oh no this was me who who did that I did all of this but I'm finding that now down the line, there was an issue. Like I, I was duped. I was speaking to somebody, you know, under false pretenses and, and, you know, basically conned. Um, and obviously, you know, our team, they, they took it to heart. They, they, they saw this and they're like, we, we want to do something about it. What else can we do to take this further and really try and help as many of these customers as possible? Which is exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast because you know when I'm talking with people on the financial services side, I think they all have a heart to want to help, but you know, it, for various reasons, whether it be you know corporate politics or it be you know resources, what have you, sometimes it's hard to know what you can do, and I think that sometimes you just need to hear what somebody else has done successfully to either be able to make a business case. Or to be able to try it yourself and, you know, on a small scale and then go to your leadership and say, hey, we did this at a smaller scale. Here's the success. We'd love to do it bigger. And so, you know, because everyone in fraud is really reinventing the wheel for their own company, I'm such a proponent on, you know, hearing people's success stories and and what's worked for one company and then allowing listeners to really adapt that to the company and the circumstances that they're in. Um, So I just cannot thank you guys enough. What was the tipping point or what was the catalyst for knowing that you, that your team, you know, having your team wants to do more, you know, and, and then kind of deciding what can you do with what you have? Yeah. It kind of went through in, in phases where we, um, you know, it, it was almost like a, a cycle approach where they would bring items to us, to James and I, and, you know, saying, Hey, this is, this is what took place. This is how this customer that, you know, because these, they were, they were taking the time to to really talk to the customers, understand what what took place, and, and make. Sh- and this was, I mean, this was quite a while. This was, we probably started this at the end of twenty twenty two, you know, and, and you know, so we would we would take that information and basically see, okay, what what could we apply here additional to to try and make it so that maybe we could reach out and talk to the customer before the transaction takes place. Like what, you know, what could we do um, before this money is officially gone and out into, out into crypto world, um, you know, and, and, and forever gone. Uh, what, what else can we do? And um, yeah, so it was continuing to just to add to that, um, you know, as, as we continue to get more information throughout the year. Yeah. So gathering information from victims to then understand what were some signals that we could have seen, you know, f- before the money was gone, uh, that we could have helped out and and then, you know, really educated these consumers, right? And that's one of the biggest issues with pig butchering and, and all of these scams, you know, the consumer targeted scams is that in a lot of cases, and Aaron and I talked about this last week, a lot of times it's really difficult to change their mind. You know, they've really been duped. And I know that's something we'll, you know, talk about a little bit more in a little bit, but it's just, that's, 
even if their loved one says, hey, I don't think that, you know, that person in Southeast Asia exists or, you know, hey, have you done your research into this website that you're sending all of your, you know, your kids college fund to, to invest in money? There's something psychological about it where, no, I've already, you know, I already trust them and I can't afford to believe otherwise, right? So James, what is it that you guys, you know, Kind of walk me through what you guys do as far as, you know, if you see, if it comes across your screen that you're, it looks like there's some indicators that this could be either an existing user of your platform or a new user of your platform uh, that may be being conned. How, what does that look like and, and what kind of actions are you guys taking? Yeah, I'll, I'll walk you through uh, as much as I can without, without giving the farm away. Absolutely. And that's all we ask for here. <laughs> When we see specific indicators of uh, of a, a potential victim, uh, what we're doing is we're we're holding their transaction. We're just putting everything on pause and reaching out to them. Uh, we want more information, so we're trying to gather as much information from them as we can. And the majority of the time, there people are, can be annoyed uh, that hey, uh, it's my money. I want to move it where I want to move it. Let me do that. And once we actually make contact with them, a lot of the time we will we'll do something like get them into a video call so that that that, that serves a couple of purposes. One, now I know who I'm talking to. It's not just somebody on the other side of an email, uh, but I'm I'm also they're able to see, hey, I'm a real person that's speaking to you and I'm I'm able to walk you through. And then I'll just ask them. I'll start asking them questions uh, and I'll I'll preface a lot of the questions with, hey, I don't want to dive too deep. It, you know, ultimately, it's your money. You can do what you want with it. We're just trying to protect you. And then. Then it becomes an education session. Uh, you keep referencing your your interview with Aaron, and I know that one of Aaron's big things is educate, mm-hmm. uh, educate, disrupt, uh, and that's been that's been kind of the driving force here is educate people behind what's going on. Uh, and I don't just educate them with with my experience. Uh, I don't educate them with my opinion. I educate them with facts. I say here is here is what's actually happening. The money that you've sent here, here's what happened with it. Uh, the money that you sent to this other place, here is what happened with it. Uh, and here's what happened when other people did the same thing. Uh, and then I'll, I'll also educate them with think, where do you think that you're sending your money to? And they'll give me the websites that they're logging into. And so I'll I'll have a look at those websites as well, and I'll do something like who is IP. Just to see when was that website registered? Where was that website registered? Uh, and I'll I'll provide them that information. I'll even share my screen and show it to them. Here's the website you gave me. It was registered two months ago. This is supposed to be a company that's been in business for 25 years. Why did they not have a website until November? And that becomes a that becomes a real eye opener for a lot of people when when I start hitting them with all of the reasons that things are bad. Uh, and then when I can tell them the story that they were told by the by these bad actors before they're able to before they even have a chance to tell me it's OK, maybe, maybe this guy does know what he's talking about. Maybe I should listen to what he's saying. Uh, and that's how we get a lot of people to come around and say, OK, now let me tell you the rest of the story that I didn't tell you. Wow. I would imagine that that is a bit time consuming, but have you found that it's worthwhile? And in what ways has it been worthwhile? Absolutely. It's been wor- uh, for one, I look at it as if I can stop a few thousand dollars from walking out the door, I've done a decent job that day. If I can stop $250,000 from walking out the door, I've done a good job that week. And we're stopping millions of dollars of fraud from walking out the door a month. And it's not just that we're stopping fraudsters from getting the money. We're stopping some people from having potentially the worst day of their lives uh, when we have to give them that follow-up call. Uh, if the money goes out the door, we have to you know, then have that conversation. That's completely different. 
uh, from, hey, we, we're going to inconvenience you just a little bit, but I'm going to save you thousands of dollars. Wow. Rob, what, from your perspective, how, how and why has this been successful? Obviously what James, James had said, that's the biggest thing is just the, just saving the money, saving people's funds like that and reducing that kind of heartache that someone's going to have. But I think the extra piece is like the, the, the cherry on top is knowing that a fraudster was about to get this kind of money and now they're not and how upset they are. And the fact that we got to do that. So yeah, that that's a little bit extra as well. <laughs> I think that this phrase is trademarked, um, but you're, you know, you're really trying to ruin the bad guy's day, right? That's, uh, there's a fraud fighter out there that uh, last I heard was trademarking that phrase. So I feel like I need to give them credit, but you know, it is really nice to ruin a bad guy's day. <laughs> it's, it's fulfilling, but I would imagine even more so than that too, there's a component for your business because, you know, crypto as a whole has gotten such a bad reputation for scams and some specific crypto exchanges and wallets have as well because they enabled a lot of scams. You know, in the past, I'd like to think that some of the cleanup is happening now, but, you know, hard to know. And you guys are able to say, hey, not on our platform. Like we're going to actually go above and beyond what we maybe are required to do and go above and beyond and do what we should do, you know, reaching out, taking the time to do, to educate. I'd imagine it's a little bit draining sometimes and frustrating, but the reward at the end is knowing that you've saved someone's life savings. We've actually done a recent uh, survey of, of new users. This was in the latter part of last year. And the second biggest reason for why they came to Uphold and like Uphold, like the experience, it's because of our security. So it, it's really nice to, to see that and, and to hear that people appreciate it, you know, customers appreciate it, and it makes a difference and hopefully drives more customers. Continuing down the, the customer aspect and, and the security aspect, when we're talking to these people, if it does turn out that they're, that they're not falling victim to some kind of a scam, uh, while they were a little bit annoyed in the beginning that, hey, we have to now go through this extra step, those calls always end the same way. I appreciate that you guys are doing this because nobody else is doing this. We're potentially building lifelong customers here. Right. That's a that's a really good point. And I think those are good talking points for anyone who, you know, has considered doing something similar, but has thought, oh, well, my leadership will never, you know, go for this because it does take, you know, some of our team's time um, away from other things or, you know, may not be able to build a direct ROI, but being able to say, no, I mean, consumer trust and safety is a huge driver for business and for repeat business. And taking someone who is going to be a victim on your platform to now be a customer is pretty unheard of. And, you know, what an amazing way to get a loyal customer out of that too. Not to mention the word of mouth, right? Like instead of, oh, I used this platform and all my money went away. It's wow, I used this platform and they educated me and I didn't lose my money. I wasn't a statistic. Yeah. And we've seen things like uh, like our, our trust pilot ratings shoot up. Then uh, we said we started rolling out things like this. I know I've been promising to tell you more about SPEC and why I invited them to sponsor episodes of Fraudology. And there's actually so many things that I want to tell you and will tell you over the next several weeks. But the first thing I wanted to make sure that you hear about is their Trust Cloud. Specs Trust Cloud protects the integrity of the digital user while simplifying the risk process. 
It allows you to discover insights across the entire digital user experience. It allows you to catch attacks early. With access to full visibility, you can scan visitor behavior across their entire journey to catch the risk patterns that traditional fraud check APIs miss. Visualize the flow of attacks, identifying areas to catch them early, and leaving bad actors with nowhere to hide. It also allows you to start each journey with instant trust. You can boost platform integrity by instantly welcoming return customers to their personal account experience, while your trust platform invisibly screens for signs of compromise and abuse. It also allows you to remove friction for good customers and increase conversions. By using a single source of truth, you can detect evolving fraud attacks and identify conversion drop-offs and optimize your payment strategy. The bottom line is when you're able to to see every customer's behavior from the moment that they enter your website until the time of checkout or when they open up a new account, you can identify that before the fake account is made, before the transaction is even made and now you've got a fraud transaction in your platform. It's honestly game changing and I'm really excited for more people to learn about it. So to learn more about Spec and this new technology and especially their Spec Trust Cloud, go to www.specprotected.com. So before you guys, you know, really dug into this, or maybe when you were deciding how to educate your consumers, I imagine that, you know, the it's not the only the only way that you do it isn't just through, you know, customer outreach, but you also had to learn a lot to be able to know what to educate them with. So Rob, can you talk a bit about that as far as the work you did behind the scenes to, you know, know how to share or you know what to share with customers, and then also the different ways that you're educating customers or potential customers? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of, you know, as we're digging through this and we were realizing what customers were falling for, the scams and kind of, you know, how embedded they were and how much they have fallen for the scams and didn't want to believe that they weren't being scammed. We knew that the biggest way to do this was was education and just to try and get ahead of things and try to make people aware before a scam. I mean, before they were a victim, essentially. You know, and so a lot of that, you know, we kind of had to start internally and make sure everyone internally was aware of the scam um, and what's taking place. And uh, luckily, calling back to to our previous uh, podcast interview, so everybody go listen to that one. But we talk, you know, we have a very receptive uh, uh, executive team here at Uphold. So so they listened, they heard, and and we kind of were were given the you know the green light to go and do what we needed to do. So you know, we actually have tackled this from. From a multitude of ways. So one, we we created kind of a, a fraud and security hub on our website and our help center. You know, kind of giving the the customer details of what uphold will never ask of them. So you know that so that way they're not victim of, of a possible scam in which someone's pretending to be an uphold representative. Um, how how a customer can take action if they've been contacted. You know, ask to transfer funds or, or ask to do anything that seems irregular. How they can reach out to us to kind of proactively ask questions and to make sure things look correct, uh, you know, especially in their account. You know, we've partnered with our product teams to improve our, our in-app messaging. So, you know, all throughout our customer journey, both um, new customers and longtime customers, there are various pop-ups, warnings to the customer to make sure they understand, hey, no one should be asking you to do this. If someone's asking you and telling you you should be doing something like this, it's not normal. Be asking questions. 
also kind of before they're moving funds off the platform. Hey, why are you doing this? Is someone telling you to do this? Here's some education that you should know before you're moving these funds, um, especially if it's not your your address that you're moving it to. Um, we've partnered with our social media team to to send out periodic FYIs and tips on how a customer, you know, just overall security tips. And we've done that through both Instagram and Twitter um, to our to our customers. Uh, and then finally, we kind of, we also just send out occasional emails of tips and tricks. Obviously, before the holiday seasons, you know, we were, we were sending out emails to our customers. Hey, just FYI, here's some reminder warnings. Obviously, they don't always hit their emails that just kind of go through. Then we also send when the customer first signs up, you know, hey, you have a welcome email from the fraud team from me directly saying this is what to you know expect this is in kind of a summary of everything that i was just talking about right where this is how to protect yourself this is tip you know this is what pig butchering is so even though it's a, with you know it's a little bit of a lengthier email what are top scams to be aware of since you now are jumping into having a crypto-based account these are what to prepare so all of this has been things that you know, we've pushed and our teams have all been partnered with and wanting to do with us. And so it's been amazing to, to kind of blast all of this out and really, you know, help in educating our customers. Wow. I have never, I mean, well, I think we all wish we lived in a perfect world where every company's comms team would, wanted, you know, was willing to push out anti-scam uh, notices and, and information out to social media and emails and things like that. So that is you know, great and speaks highly of all the work you you know, both talked about in the last episode as far as you know building that trust and and you know earning that seat at the table to have those conversations and say, hey, there's only so much we can do behind the scenes. We really need everyone's help throughout the company to really, you know, build our customers' trust and to protect them and you know, therefore protecting our company. But the thing I've absolutely never heard of before, and I wish I saw this even with my bank, it would have been awesome if, you know, when I opened my account, of course, of course, I would have thought it was awesome. But even I think regular people who aren't in this industry to get an email personally from the fraud manager is a pretty big or the director VP of fraud actually um, is pretty significant. And uh, especially as more and more fraud teams are being um, impersonated. Right. If you're reaching out and saying, hey, this is my name. This is who I am. I will not ever call you. You know, I, if I do, this is what I'll you know, say. But like, this is what, you know, I, I won't ever call you and ask you for this information. That's pretty incredible. I'm I'm in awe. I didn't know about that part. And that's is that something that you guys just kind of came up with? Or have you ever heard of any other institution you know, or financial services company doing something like that before? Um, yeah, it's kind of something we, we had, had come up with. Um... You know, it's kind of a, you know, we knew it was a good balance just to to try and grab them right when they're doing it, especially because of the, you know, with emails, they do get lost, especially later down the line. But we know we have their attention when they're first signing up and they're first acting with the account. So it's like, okay, maybe they don't read the full thing, but, you know, if we can grab the, grab their attention real quick when they're looking at this. You know, maybe that maybe it's just something that sticks or and also I put myself in the regular customer shoes where, you know, if they're if we can grab their attention just a little bit and they're inquisitive, it's like, oh, pig butchering. I kind of want to know more. That that sounds odd. I've never heard, you know, from, from this weird, kind of right? Yeah. <laughs> I need to read more. And and then you just can't help but want to to find out more on that. Wow. I yeah, I guess I um you know, thinking about all the banks and fintechs that listen to the podcast, I 
hope that that is an idea that they grasp onto because you're so right. When someone opens up a new account with a company, that's when they're paying attention the most to what's coming in. And it's so important also, you know, we talk about how just how programmed some of these scam victims get. And, you know, obviously if they go past the messaging on the website and they, they keep exiting out of all of those things that you've done up to this point, you know, and they still attempt to transfer money out, then they've got James's team who's reaching out to them. But by that point, there it takes a lot of work, right? Because you're programming them. You have to deprogram them. Whereas, you know, all of this preventative work, I'm sure it's really difficult to have an ROI there, but it doesn't surprise me that your trust pilot score has gone up and that you're, you know, the number two reason why anyone uses Uphold is for trust and safety and the security side, because they're seeing evidence of that all the way through their customer journey. I would, I would, Carissa, honestly, I would, I would challenge any any of your listeners that are VPs or executives at at banks at other fintechs to start doing this. Yeah, uh, if banks took more of a preventative measure uh, than they do now, and I know that the banks are uh, banks have certain fraud controls in place. If they put in a little bit more, uh, the the workload that would be would be eliminated from teams like mine. My team can absolutely handle. I have a phenomenal team, but I. I'll five other stuff I'd rather have them do. I want to be able to take more naps. So if the banks could do that, it would it would significantly reduce our workload uh, on the back end, and we could focus on on other types of fraud. We could focus on fighting fighting more trends and stopping more, uh, which in turn that feeds back to the bank again. Means that they got to deal with less chargebacks uh, and then less less rebuttals to the chargebacks. Uh, so it's it's really a cyclical relationship where we can certainly help each other by working together and also working towards the best interests of our customers at the same time. I mean, I want to live in that world. That sounds like a great world to live in, <laughs> and I think everyone who's listening does too. I mean, we know that you know things get in the way, but. I think it just knowing that it's possible and just knowing that there is a team like yours that has created this holistic approach, right? To scams that happen off your platform, to things that are outside of your control. But knowing, okay, well, just because it happens offside of our platform doesn't mean that we're not involved. What can we do to try to educate before the programming starts? How can we, you know, give them a heads up or if they start doing things on the website that might be a little suspicious, let them know, right? maybe introduce a guardrail, right? Rather than like a landmine or a tripwire, a guardrail to say, hey, FYI, this could be, you know, if you're doing this, it could be a sign of this and making them, you know, have to exit out of it and, and hopefully read it first, you know, before they can move on um, is, you know, the optimal thing. I would think that knowing that all of these controls happen, that there would be a fair amount of, you know, scammers who, are not instructing their, you know, their victims to go through uphold for transferring, you know, money into Bitcoin now or, you know, any other crypto. And that's, you know, a benefit as well. I mean, granted, is another reason why you guys can't do this alone and why, you know, so many others should take that challenge and, you know, really consider it and say, okay, well, what can we do? What are what are some small steps? I mean, it sounds like a lot of these things weren't extra costs to your business. Right. It was, you know, working with comms team. They usually always need to have things to push out on social media. Right. Or, you know, working with, you know, a copywriter to write an email from the head of fraud to say, hey, 
this is who I am and this is, we care about you and we care about your money and here are, you know, some things we want you to know. Just that alone is huge and, and can be done. And then, you know, if somebody gets past all of those things and they still are programmed to, you know, psychologically programmed to uh, transfer their money outside the platform, well, then, you know, hopefully James's team gets a hold of them and, you know, shares that too. So it's just, it's such a good holistic approach from end to end of education and, you know, caring about your customer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, to, I want to address two pieces there. The first one is uh, our, our product team, uh, our social media team, they have been phenomenal. The The only gripe that I've had is, and for years, I've well, for the last two years, I've asked, make it ugly. Make whatever messaging you're sending out as ugly as you possibly can. Uh, like our, our company colors are, are green. I want it to be purple and yellow, which Vikings colors, maybe we shouldn't do that, but flashing, have the screenplay a sound. Uh, I want it to be as hideous as possible so that it draws attention to draws it. Attention. <laughs> Yeah, and usually most social media teams and design comms teams, they want everything to look pretty and be branded. <laughs> I get shot down every time I mention it almost immediately. Uh, it's gotten to the <laughs> point now to where Rob shoots me down when I mention it. it it's, it's not even, we're not even going to talk to the product team now. It's just a no. You mentioned, Chris, that it's like the measures that we have in place could be steering uh, scammers away from Uphold. And we do, we do see that. I'll give you two quick stories. Uh, one of them is mine, and one of them is is one of my one of my colleagues. In my story, I I spoke to a gentleman. He is a, a pastor at a church, uh, and he was trying to move roughly one hundred seventy thousand dollars. He wired it into Uphold. He was moving it immediately back out. And when I got him on the phone and I walked him through, he was investing this money for his church to try to grow it. And he had found a great investment site that was promising him returns, which was an immediate red flag. No legitimate investment place is going to promise you that you're going to make money. Turns out he had already sent over $200,000 of the church's money to another exchange before that exchange shut him down. Then he came to Uphold. He was, well, he was directed to come to Uphold by the investment site. And we were able to stop that. We were able to get that money back to them. Uh, he actually kept his account because while well, he was investing with the the church's money. He trusted Uphold enough that he was now going to start putting in his own money into Uphold as well. And I checked his account on a on a regular basis, and it's still in good shape. The money's mm. still sitting there. Uh, he's he makes periodic deposits into it, uh, and he's transacting like a normal customer now. And then a another example that I would have for you actually involves uh, almost four hundred thousand uh, dollars. So somebody had they wired in four hundred grand, and it's the same story. They wired it 400 grand. They tried to immediately move it back out again. And we stopped it. We gave him a call. We wanted to have a conversation with him. Again, $110,000 that he had already moved through another platform before they stopped him. And then he was directed to come to Uphold. And we stopped him. We were able to get the 400 grand back. Though. Sadly, in, in both of those cases, they did lose the money that they had transferred from the, from the other exchange. But the money that we had, we were able to protect for him. Do you find that, you know, since you started to do this and you know, made it impossible. You know, the scammers were at one point directing people to uphold and saying, okay, if this exchange said, no, go here. Are you finding that the less is, they're not being directed your way as much because they're realizing, oh, if it goes to uphold, there's a strong chance that it's not going to go, it's not going to come to us. Have you found that at all? Or, I mean, it's kind of anecdotal too. It's hard to know. <laughs> It's sort of hard to know, but we also, we, we keep records. We keep logs of, of the, the number of scam victims that we speak to. 
whether they are scam victims with the loss, scam victims that didn't lose anything, we're tracking everything that we possibly can. And there, there has been a decrease. We have seen that, uh, a, a decrease in the month over month in the number of people that are uh, either reporting that they lost money to a scam or the number of people that we're having to contact to stop them from losing their money. And we know that that's not a trend overall, right? We know, unfortunately, that, that pig butchering is just increasing tremendously. And so that speaks volumes. When I was I was listening to your call with Aaron West, and uh, you had mentioned that it's going to eventually move out of the U.S. and migrate to other countries as well. Uh, so, so I went in and I, I actually pulled some numbers and it, it's, it's already happening. Oh, wow. Uh, 15%, 15% of the people that we spoke to are outside of the U S Wow, and yeah. that's, uh, over, over the, over the last 12 months, 15% have been outside the U S. What are the general locations of those? I mean, you don't have to say specific countries, but like Western countries still. Yeah. And I have to give credit to Frank McKenna for saying that to say what's going to happen to pig butchering if either eventually every consumer is educated against it and doesn't fall for it anymore, doesn't fall victim or every financial institution, you know, the perfect world, every financial institution is doing even half of what you guys have done, you know, to try to prevent it uh, from a different angle than they have traditionally. Or what if every consumer, you know, that isn't educated about it loses money to it, right? Like what are they going to switch scams? Uh, my thought was, I think they'll switch scams or they'll change it up. And Frank said, no, they'll just go to a different, you know, Western country. And that's, you know, I'm glad that you shared that because that's helpful to know it's already happening. Well, I think that we we live in in a world that is connected enough that once it once it becomes a, a widespread issue in one place, people tend to know about it even before it starts hitting you know, before it starts hitting home, you'll know that it's something that exists. I hate, I truly hate to disagree with Frank, uh, but I I think that it will be a, maybe not necessarily a completely different scam, but it will be a a shift similar to, like I said uh, in the beginning, uh, I do pig butchering as just an evolution of the Nigerian print scam. So what will be the next evolution? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to know, but I mean, there still are so many, you know, people, unfortunately, who will probably fall victim in between now and, and then, right. And, um, whether it's the exact same scam and the exact same story that you and your team often hear, you know, over and over again, James, or, you start to hear variations of it. I don't think any of us think that consumer assisted scams are going away anytime soon. You know, it used to be easier to attack the banks directly and attack e-commerce companies directly. And there are still, don't get me wrong, there's still a heck of a lot of cyber criminals that are doing that. Um, Sometimes, you know, more successfully than others. But there are these entire operations, as Aaron and I were talking about, you know, especially outside of Southeast Asia that have set up the infrastructure with human trafficking and with setting up these people who are just their entire job and their entire existence is to lure victims into a relationship, whether it be romantic or, you know, platonic. And that's not going away anytime soon. And, you know, being able to draw them out and say, okay, look at what has happened to your money so far, you know, with these fake screenshots of, okay, you put in that $100,000 on this platform 
and it grew this much. Don't you want to put more money in? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you just have to do it on another platform. Oh, okay. It's not going away. And so taking the approach of what can we do, whether it seems outside of scope or not, is exactly what every company and, and financial institution should be doing, in my opinion. Absolutely. So the, the investment scam that you just described is that's, that's the people that we, that we speak to or ha- have spoken to quite often uh, in the past where they are being okay well you you made x amount but if you invest just a little bit more you get to the next tier and your your rates of return go higher and that's not how investment works but you also you mentioned the the romantic relationship aspect of it and those people like talking to the people that felt like them to that uh that's actually more heartbreaking than regardless of how much money they lost that is more heartbreaking than talking to an investment scam victim i would rather talk to an investment scam person that lost 500 grand than a romance scam victim that lost five. Because it's it's more of a emotional and mental toll on on them, I'd imagine. Now I'm now not only am I telling you that you lost some money, but I'm also telling you that the love of your life doesn't exist. How much of a toll does that take on you and your team for having those conversations daily? It's painful. It it really is. Um it it can get incredibly stressful. I speak very highly of my team. Uh, and and what it is that that they're able to accomplish, and sometimes the, the abuse that they put up with when when talking to people. Again, we're talking to people on what is potentially the worst day or one of the worst days of their lives, and sometimes they lash out. And if we're if we're having to tell them that, like I said in, in the romance scam aspect, that they lost money, and this other person doesn't exist, it can sometimes get really sad. Uh, people will people start crying. People will they'll absolutely refuse. Nope, that's mm-hmm. that. It's not me. She exists and she loves me. I have a picture of her. This happens I speak to other to her people, on the phone. but it wouldn't yeah. happen to me. Exactly. I'm too. I'm too smart for that. And and my team, my team does a phenomenal job at at trying to be as sympathetic as they possibly can, uh, while also providing that education piece uh, and and ultimately protecting protecting the customer from themselves. Yeah. And sometimes that's the case. And if, you know, they've been warned and they, and they still go through it, well then, you know, it's a very painful lesson, but at least they know exactly what happened once they can't get a hold of that person again, you know, and, and they know, well, this company was at least trying to save me from myself. They may still try to blame you just because, you know, sometimes people just need someone else to blame, but kudos to you and your team for, putting up with some of that verbal abuse, but also, you know, the toll it can take on your empathy to have those conversations. They're not easy. No, it is. And it, it is really easy to, to become numb mm. to the entire situation and to, to just go through the motions. I felt it happening to myself from time to time. And I, I, you know, you have to reel it back. And you know, ultimately I say it to my team on a, on a pretty regular basis put yourselves in their shoes. What would what would you want to hear that you can actually say to them? Uh, how would you want to be treated? Do you want someone to speak to you uh, like just dull and monotone and just giving the facts? Or do you want someone to, to speak to you with you know just a little bit of empathy, just a, a little bit of I give a shit? Well, and I would imagine that the payoff is when you get to the end of the call and they realize, oh, wow, you did just save me from myself. You just saved me from that, you know, two hundred thousand dollars I was about to wire and never get back. Um, you just saved my congregation, or you know, my child's college fund, or my retirement fund, or whatever it is. Um, and I would imagine that that 
has a lot of fulfillment and hopefully balances out the, you know, over time balances out kind of some of the exhaustion and the emotional exhaustion that can come from that. It does. I, I grab a lot of the the thank you messages that people will email in. Uh, when I when I come across them, I'll grab them, I'll grab a screenshot. Naturally, I send it to Rob to say, hey, look at what a great job we're doing. Uh, but then I'll also share that with whatever, whichever one of my analysts it was that worked on that ticket. It's like, hey, good job. Keep doing that. That's amazing. I just, it's conversations like these that make me have a little bit of a better outlook on things, right? Because we know that, well, we know that the enemy is better resourced than us. Uh, but you know what? They're not as passionate as we are. And they aren't as you know, creative as we, I mean, they are creative, but like we can get creative too, uh, in trying to combat them and that we can't always combat it with technology behind the scenes. There has to be a component of educating the consumer because the consumer plays a part in some of these scams. That hits the nail on the head. The, the education. I mean, years ago when we, we've all, we first started in fraud, there wasn't a lot of education. We, you didn't really want to speak about the fraud provision department. There was there no one wanted to talk that that existed because it was it was that that negative word. Now now it needs to be like we it it, it we have to be in the forefront of of you know making sure that we interact with the cons- the customers and make sure they're they're aware of everything. That's so well said. I mean, there are still some companies and some communication teams that you know don't want to admit that their company gets targeted with fraud. And by not admitting it, you're actually helping the other side, right? That's what they're hoping you're going to do. They're hoping that you're not going to, you know, send out a social media blast saying, hey, you know, don't forget to use a new password with every new account you create. Or, you know, if somebody calls you and asks you for any information about you, call them back and call them back on the phone number that's listed to the company that they say they work for. You know, just those types of tips that can really be helpful. And I do think that as more and more consumers are scammed in all different ways, whether it's to this degree or not, I do think that consumers are caring more and they're paying attention to which financial institutions are protecting them and making that a priority and which fintech companies are making that a priority. And I know for me, I bank with who I bank with purely because they have one of the best fraud setups in the country that I live in. And that's just, and sometimes it's obnoxious. Sometimes it's like, yes, I did make that purchase and don't judge me for it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm so grateful for them too. And every, you know, anytime that I get the call or I get, you know, logged out of my, my account because I logged in on a new device or, you know, whatever, like, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm grateful for this, but I know that a lot of consumers do the same thing, right? They pick my bank or pick their bank because of that. And I think that, you know, when talking to leadership to get permission for this, that's the kind of, you know, verbiage you can use and say, you know, this is actually something that gets us new customers and that will build trust and not just new customers, but you'll get their loyalty and the longevity piece. You know, they're not just going to come and take advantage of one promo and create an account and then run away. They're going to keep transacting with you because they know that you're going to keep their money safe. Absolutely. And and consumers are going to, uh, as as they become more educated, they are going to start holding, not even just their financial institutions, but ultimately everybody that they're that they're giving money to, that they have an account with, uh, that they're giving their personal data to, they're going to start holding accountable for that. So right now is the time for for really all of us to, to get ahead of it, get ahead of the issue before it, it becomes much bigger than it is. 
I am just so grateful to both of you for, um, you know, being willing to have this conversation. I'm grateful to your leadership for, you know, the willingness for you to have this conversation on the podcast. You know, there's a lot of great fraud fighters that would love to talk about processes that they've put in place in their current role that that's not always something they can do. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a true testament to you guys and just how you've been able to educate internally too, that, you know, this has to be a holistic approach and, you know, we can't shy away from the fact that scammers want to take advantage of our platform. Instead, we need to say, okay, well, game on, (laughs) you know, we're going to, we're going to try to tackle it in a lot of different ways in any way we possibly can. Before we wrap up this conversation, is there anything else that um, either of you would like to add or, um, you know, make sure that you, any tips you want to give anyone who you might be considering doing something like this or, you know, anything else that you'd like to add to the episode? I would say to, to all of your listeners, I love talking about fraud. Uh, and I love talking about the success that we've had. I know that after, after the last time we were on here, uh, I told Rob, my, my LinkedIn apparently became the new hotspot to be, uh, because the, <laughs> the number of, the number of connection requests just, just went that. off the charts. Uh, and I, I do as well. And I'm hoping that it happens again. Uh, and for anybody that, that does want to, to implement some sort of an education, uh, process for their customers, I'm happy to share as much as, as I can. Uh, and, and I'm happy to help in any way that I can. So feel free to reach out. Well, and for, you know, the listeners that are already planning their trip to Vegas in March, I know that you will be there as well. So that can be, uh, you know, a place to want to meet up as well. Absolutely. I, I tried to convince Rob to, uh, to actually talk at MRC about this. Well, but he's shy. <laughs> Next year, I think, James, you and I should just submit a speaker track for him. <laughs> yes. If, if that's a thing that can happen, I think I can pass for Rob in, in bad light. <laughs> well, no, we can just literally fill out the application on his behalf. <laughs> that's not fraud, right? <laughs> if it's with good intentions. Yeah, we can call it cost saving. Hey, we're trying to save up old money from uh from paying paying for the MRC visit. There you go. Right, yeah. <laughs> it does get you a free registration, Rob. So yes, I I would love to see that too. <laughs> Oh, don't don't tell my CFO that then uh, then he'll be forcing us to to, to be speaking a, a lot more. So maybe that's Uh-oh. maybe that's also the angle you can take, James. <laughs> I appreciate Rob for you know I, I am married to an introvert and I know how sometimes it's hard to talk about you know what you do. You just want to do the thing and you know all of that. But I really appreciate whenever you've come on the podcast and grateful that you brought James along too. I think I, I know that both of these episodes will be very enlightening and helpful to fraudologists. And I always love hearing that uh, new connections are being made because of the awesome guests I have on the podcast. Um, and thank you both again so much for making time twice now in just a few weeks uh, to talk about this. It's you know, we can't measure the impacts and the ripple effects, but we know they're there. And that's what's powerful. Yeah. Thank, thank you definitely for having us. It's it's always fun and, and hell, always enjoy just talking fraud. Um, for some reason, that's that's the that's the topic that'll bring me out of my shell, just uh, nerding out on fraud stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best too, right? And that's another reason why I know so many people listen to the podcast too, is just hearing other people nerd out about it. It's helpful because so often we're the only ones in our company or, you know, one of only a couple people in your guys' case, you know, one of a team um, to nerd out. And it's awesome to hear different perspectives and, 
you know, different success stories. And this one is definitely one of them that I, um, I expect to get a lot of listener feedback on. And I'm so grateful that we were able to have this conversation. As am I, Priest. Thank you again for having us. This was awesome, as always. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. We'll hopefully uh, have you on again, uh, you know, down the road. Always, always happy to come back. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.